Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Football. Energy drinks. Beer. More football. Welcome to Bink at Night. Welcome back to Bank at Night. Chiefs OTA is still going on. Mandatory minicamp, you have to wait a week. Packers minicamp was supposed to be the 15th through 17th. They've changed it. Aaron Rodgers accumulate $94,000 a day fines. If they find him. If they find him. Yeah, I bet they make we'll that, that excuse, goes. right? We'll see how that goes. Jay Binkley with my guy, Nick Price. What producing up, Bink? What's up, man? It's been a long time, man. It's been a long time. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, there really is. I mean, clearly we'll talk Chiefs, Thrawn Copper, we'll hit Pride.com at 6.30. Leading you into Josh Vernier. Always a trade at 7.30 with Vern's on deck show. Man, the three strikes guy last night, man. He was cruising. Was he? Cruising until the final question. What was the one that hung him up? Uh, Royals that have had more than 110 RBI in a season, I believe. Okay. It's like how quick we forget about Sweeney. Yeah, like Sweeney's right. the all-time leader with 144. Man, he was my hero growing up. At least they threw in George Brett. Like, Vern always does that because George Brett's like the free space. Right. Like, when in doubt, just say George Brett. Or think of other ones, and then when he's about to buzz you up for a strike, say George Brett. Like, you know, or Hal McCray when you think RBI. You right. think of Hal McCray. Sweeney, it was big into that. I mean, he, when healthy, Sweeney was, you know, would put up the ribs. Jorge Soler just did it two years ago. You know, so. But they were so close, man. I love doing that three strikes. That's one of my favorite things. I filled in for Vern uh, end of April. I get to do three strikes again. I struck him out both times. I didn't want to, though. I like to give out the prize, you know? It always uh, it always frustrates me when Vern will ask a question like, hey, name three pitchers that pitched yesterday. And they can't even get one. I'm like, man, you're not even watching this team. This yeah. team's fun. Yeah, you're that's missing the clue. Out. He gives you the clue. If you, watch the Royal, if you watch Royals baseball. And you listen to the first segment. It's a big clue to watch last night's game or don't call in. Or have some semblance of Royals history. Maybe not a perfect Royals buff, but you knew George Brett was damn good at everything. Right. How McCray's an RBI guy. Uh, Willie Wilson stole bases. I mean, there's just little, Brett Saber again was good in a World Series MVP. These things you can, you know, keep track of. Don't just show me you've watched the Royals since like 14. Even those questions stump guys. Like what team, what guys are still on this team from that team? When that was thrown out there the other day. It's like, you know, Greg Holland, Wade Davis. I mean, there's a bunch of them that were on that 2015 team. But I digress. The lineup's out tonight in Anaheim. Check this out, too, uh, Nick. This is an interesting thing here from Dave Holtzman over at Bally. 
Uh, Royals were just 16 and 50 versus the AL West from 2018 to 19. Think about the 16 and 50. Kansas City uh, four and three versus the AL West this year. So it's still still above water with the AL West. ALS, three and a half games back from the wild card. But last night, you got to see Jackson Coar. I cautioned people, but I was excited. I admitted I was excited. And I was with Cody Tap that day, and I just said, okay, always like debuts, always like debuts, but there is a but. What will he be able to do against real pitching? Listen, he was he had a, he got a rehab. Well, he not him, but three Cubs got a rehab start that were major league players the other day. He mowed him down. You know, guys like Jason Hayward, all that, that's fine. But when you're playing the Angels, you're going against like Upton, Otani, Stassi, those types. You're going against professional. Much different than facing three guys of a lineup, you know, with some MLB experience when you're facing. I don't care how good or bad you think the Angels are. That's a pro team. I mean, it's the same type of crap teams that got Daniel Lynch out for tipping his pitches, right? You're in the show, you're in the show. You're one of the best if you're in the major leagues. Like, we can't forget how good you have to be to even get to this level. But I thought there'd be a lot of pressure on the organization with Coar. And Coar kind of forced their hand because they'll only say the player will tell you if he's ready. Like, he didn't need to sit and have coffee with you or cappuccino or Coca-Cola, whatever. He didn't have to sit there and tell you, hey, I'm ready. Nick Price didn't have to sit with me and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a producer for other shows besides you, Bank. I'm ready to move on. No, your actions dictate you're ready. You get that call for the drive. You get that call for Fesco or Coding Gold. The call for Vern. Because you got to be good to work with Vern. You got to be good. It's like you're doing tonight. You got to know your stuff. Yeah, you got to be the best. You're, you mean you're not a rookie that's throwing up there with Vern? You're not a double A guy they're giving to Vern for, for baseball. You got highlights to cut. You got a lot of stuff. You got a lot of moving parts. Yeah, I'm a wily vet. But you prove they don't need to, the, the spec doesn't need to sit down and have an interview with you. He just knows. Coar was given all indications that he just knows. And I thought there was pressure not to have a Daniel Lynch situation. Like, that's the that's the one thing you wanted to avoid. Now, they weren't tipping his pitches. He wasn't doing those things that are easily correctable. But Coar was simply dominant in AAA. Now, I wasn't going long in the games. Six innings was his height, mostly five innings type games. But for Royals fans and the organization, this 2018 draft class, which boasted Four starters out of this draft class, one, two, three, and four. It's never been done in baseball. Where your first four picks in the draft all have started this quickly. Like the Kansas City Royals have. I mean, there's been other pitchers, different pick, different play, but first four. Like that's record for the Royals. Like these guys need like Singer needs to pan out. If you have high hopes on the Royals in 22 and 23, you need Singer to start to kill it. You need, well. It would have been nice to have Jorge Soler build up some trade value at some point, but we haven't seen that. But besides the hitters, you need him to work out. You need Bubich, which so far has. Like, I like Bubich. Like, if I did power rankings right now of that 18 draft class, Bubich would be at the top. I think he deserves to be at the top. I mean, he didn't get a spot in the rotation at the beginning of the year. Don't hold it against him. He did everything possible to do it. He finished the year. With the 296 ERA out of five starts last year. Opponents were written 234 against him last year. And he's grown. He admitted he gave a bunch of runs the other day to the Tigers. He meant I was bad, but I needed to stay in the game. Like he got it. 
Like, I think Kawar and these guys will get it. Daniel Lynch was a little bit different because his beginning of the season, alternate side, came here and started before Omaha. But this happens in Major League Baseball. This is not the first rodeo of what's going on with draft picks when they're getting called up. And I'll get to Bobby Witt Jr. in just a second. There's a guy named Jared Kellenick, or Klenick. He's the number four prospect in all of baseball. Started out in AAA for the Mariners. They wound him up. Get this guy up. Get this guy up. Well, he's been sitting back down to AAA. Keep in mind, he's higher ranked than Bobby Witt. .96 batting average with the Mariners. Just eight hits and 92 plate appearances. Eight walks, 20, 26 strikeouts. He was mired in an 0 for 39 stretch. Oof. Bobby Witt's the seventh best prospect. This guy was number four. Now, the longest hitless streak by position player was none other than Crush Davis with the Orioles. He once had 54 at bats, 62 plate appearances uh, by not doing it. But he was the top prospect for the Mariners. But when he came up, he hit a home run. Got a curtain call from Mariners fans. Had two doubles as well. Everything was looking good. But then the pitcher started to attack him. Started attacking him on the hands and fastballs and teams loaded up with left-handed pitchers to face him. So that was a problem. Mike Trout was another guy. 2011, age 19, called up to the Angels mid-July. Lasted 14 games. Hit 163. Ends up being either an MVP or runner-up MVP in almost every season. Now, a new article by fans cited today had a quote from an honest player with the Brewers but one of their prospects. Quote, the environment in the big leagues now, everything is hard on hitters, the player said. We're not talking about pitchers here. We're talking about, but it all goes hand in hand. Never been a bigger gap between AAA and the big leagues. So that didn't really help him on what he needs to do to conserve consistency. That's another prospect for the Brewers. The gap between AAA and the big leagues. We'll get to Bobby Witt in just a second. But J.J. Cooper, uh, and JJ, I, get, I get him and J.J. Piccolo mixed up all the time. J.J. Cooper's Baseball America. We'll get to him. J.J. Piccolo's assistant general manager uh, for the Kansas City Royals. And one thing about J.J. was having a year off. Are the minor leagues sloppy at this point? This is a question that was asked to him on Cody and Gold a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, I don't see it as much in double-A AA and triple-A. I definitely see it more in the A-ball levels, and, I, and I'll add another perspective to that. It, the year off certainly hurts. But the other thing you have is contraction, and with contraction, the average ages in low-A and high-A are even lower uh, than they've been in the past because everybody's getting their players out of extended spring training and into full seasons. Uh, so now you have a younger player who's missed a year on top of, you know, the, the lack of development time. So I think the combination of those two, and, I, and I've shared this with our staff, my expectation was for the first half of the year, our low-A our low level baseball across the industry is probably going to mirror that of uh, rookie ball. And high-A is probably going to mirror that of low-A. And then when we get to the all-star break, it'll probably kick up the second half of the year. And that's just because they miss time and they're young and they're playing at levels that they've never played at before. Uh, in a lot of cases, guys have jumped two levels, you know, just so we can, with contraction, we can continue to get our players on the field. So, 
you know, it's kind of a perfect storm. Um, you know, the good thing is all 30 teams are in the same boat, so we're not any more disadvantaged than the others. So you just kind of weather it right now. You know, you set your expectations. Uh, maybe not at the level you would expect, you know, in past years, but you understand it. And then the second half of the year uh, should be a greater indication of where players are overall. Minor league baseball is different. You know, they're doing these six-game stands. It's like Omaha. They're in St. Paul. It's six-game stands. It's different. They had contraction. Guys didn't play organized baseball last year except for alternative camps. It's just different, man. Like this year provided different stuff for these prospects than any other year, Nick. And seeing if they're ready or not, that's the big question, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I these think, teams back. I think last year with the alternate sites, like it was great to keep getting these guys some reps and everything, but it's never going to match what you see in a game. I mean, game experience trumps all, right? You can do everything you want in practice, and certainly practice is really important to get all your tools down. But until you go out there and you do it in a game and you do it over and over in a game, it's tough to have that kind of consistency, and that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, Mike Matheny after the game on Jack. Oh, by the way, if you want to see that article on Jared Clinic and what they're going through with Seattle with the number four prospect, Seattle Times, uh, a great piece on that. That's where I got that from, and, of course, fan side as well. But interesting case study. But anyway, here's Mike Matheny on Jackson Coar last night. He was excited. I'd say that's what it was as much as anything else. But, um, it was just anticipation. Dream about this day. Uh, your entire life, the first time you pick up a baseball, and um, you want to do so much and show everybody, and I know his family, everybody was here, and I mean, all, all of that adds uh, to the excitement, and, you know, we know he's a high-rev motor, and that uh, he's going to come out and, and try and show something every single time he puts the ball in his hand, but uh, once again, I thought his stuff was good, just unfortunate, I mean, he only gave up a few hits, a couple walks got him, but those were deeper counts, and once again, foul balls, and things that ran him into uh, long pitch counts. That's the reason he came out, or else I, I really believe we were going to be talking about how well he did and how well he adjusted if we were able to get him through right. that first one. Slow it down, you know, see what he could do, but he's obviously needed for this team. Again, this is the gateway to success for the Royals. you got to have your starting pitching staff. You need Coar. And I was selfish in this, Nick, because Coar and Lynch were picks, the two comp picks after the first round. Given to the Royals for Kane and Hosmer. Because back in the day, I was like, you know, with the trading of Hosmer, Kane is like, man, should they hold on to him, make a run for the playoffs? You know, maybe get a comp pick later. Like, I was for that. Because if you trade him, you never know what you're going to get. Again, the Royals traded five bags of ball, two frozen burritos, and a six-pack of Schlitz for Cueto and Zobrist. And Shamanaya. Five pitchers for Cueto and Zobrist. Shamanaya is the good one. Again, he could throw 50 no-hitters, and I don't care because they got a ring. Okay, no-hitters are fine. Rings are better, right? But they didn't give up much for him. But Lynch and Coar were those picks for Kane and Hosmer. And Lynch was, or excuse me, Coar was Locaine. But people wanted to see Daniel Lynch and I thought Kawar was kind of a, okay, you saw what Lynch could do. Let's not forget about him because I think people have forgotten about him, even though he dominated in Omaha's last start. Let's don't forget about Lynch because you needed him to come up here and dominate with that left-handed arm throwing 100 miles an hour. You need Lynch. Don't forget about him. And if Kawar struggles again, let's not forget about him either because they're going to need which Bobby Witt Jr. Superstar in the making. 100% Bobby Witt's going to have something special. 
Probably. he Well, not probably. He and Mondi are the most talented players in this organization. Big differences, though. Witt doesn't have the injury problems. Not on wood that Mondi does. But people say, bring up Bobby Wood Jr. Bring him up. What do you got to lose? Eh, you want a trout situation? Well, actually, you probably would because you'd take MVPs or rudder up for MVPs. But he's hitting 236. I know on Twitter you see a lot of Bobby Wood home runs. Nine home runs. Think about these stats and then tell me what you'd do. Bobby Wood Jr. against righties. Hitting 160. 160. Against lefties, 448. Kills them. 27 strikeouts and 29 at-bats. Hitting 160 against righties. 81 at-bats against lefties. Eight strikeouts. Like, he dominates lefties. But again, that's a pretty big disparity. 448 to 160. Again, patience is a virtue. You don't want Bobby coming to major leagues with that kind of disparity. 448 to 160. Think about those numbers. Those are real numbers. He is not hitting right. He's just a few home runs off of him. But again, you're going to make that jump from double A. He's going to put spot in triple A and you can get the show. What do you think he's going to see? He's going to see a lot of righties. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's going to. It's what they're going to do. Their job is to make him look bad, and they'll try to do it in any way possible. But again, like if he was hitting 300 against righties, 440 against left, he's making his case. He's telling you, bring me up. But we see it, and it's like we go, bring him up, bring him up, bring him up. Sometimes that's always the best answer. Ask Seattle. Ask Seattle with the number four prospect who went over 39. You want Bobby Witt to have a stretch like that over 39? No. You don't want to see. You want the next great hope. You want something good to happen with you. But coming up next, this is funny, man. Like, Passon's calling out the cheaters now. We, we talked about the sticky substances. Sports Illustrated had that great article. Sticky substances have become the new steroids in baseball. And Garrett Cole, the Yankees who got lit up the last time, because baseball's looking for cheaters now. He gave the greatest pregame press conference a little bit ago. Epic. It's been on Sports Center. It's all over the place. This is the type of situation the Royals hitters are facing with pitchers like this. Bring that up and talk more about the minor league players next. Bing at night. Royals Angels coming up tonight. Josh Vernier joins you for Vern's on Deck Show. It's 7.30. Solaire is behind Perez tonight. Again, I hear these comparisons. Salvador Perez getting in the Hall of Fame. You talk about Yachty. Look who is batting behind him and in front of him. Compare that to what Sal Perez is, has in front of him behind him. Now, this year, but in front of him, we 10 okay. But it's been like Gutierrez behind him. I mean, yeah, nothing wrong with Kevin Gutierrez, but come on. It's Kevin Gutierrez. Say it 10 times fast. Tonight... Hey. It's Hunter Dozier behind Sal Perez. Struggling. That's who he has behind him. What's he going to see? We're going to walk him like the twins. Compare who he has behind him to some of the others. That's why he's making a statement, I believe, to be a top five MVP candidate. Witt leads off at second pace. Carlos Santana at first, bat second. Sal Perez catching tonight, bats third. Dozier batting fourth. Jorge Soler DHing tonight. He, uh, one for three last night for Jorge. Kelvin Gutierrez at third. Michael A. Taylor in center field. Edward Olivares in left field. And Hanser Alberto will be your shortstop tonight. 
Chris Bubich, my favorite on the power rankings right now from that 2018 draft class. All right, so here's the deal. We all know what steroids do, right? You pump the needle in your arm, you hit a bunch of home runs, Brady Anderson alleged, not proven, alleged. Baseball didn't really, they turned around their cheek. They didn't. I mean, it's not like they, well, they're not supposed to do it. Well, you're not supposed to speed either, right? But people do, right? So Jeff Passan from ESPN tweets out a second ago, for those wondering how many players are using sticky stuff, which is, we've gone beyond pine tour, people. Or it's spider tack, suntan lotion, you name it, rosin, mixtures, potions. How many players are using sticky stuff? If the guy who got paid $324 million is, you can damn sure a majority of the rest of the pitchers are too. Great article in Sports Illustrated about the ball going back to other dugouts, like the seams coming off of it, logos coming off of it. I mean, you throw this thing to the wall, it's going to stick, man. I mean, it's like those things on Velcro. You just throw it in the sticks on Velcro. Yeah, right. That's uh, what these are doing. Two hands. So Garrett Cole, this is funny, because this is uh, during a media conference today. And it's on ESPN. It's all over Twitter. Garrett Cole's asked by a reporter flat out, does he use spider tech, which is a very sticky substance that you can get on Amazon? Anybody can get the stuff, but you're not supposed to pitch with this which they are cracking down on, and guess what? Spin rates are going down. Like, this stuff helps spin rates. Basically, these balls look like wiffle balls at the plate, right? That's what they're doing. And the hitting's down. No one's scoring runs. Consequently, that's a big reason people like baseball, like the long ball, like to see runs scored. So anyway, here's Garrett Cole. Ask point blank, does he use the substance? Now, is he going to lie, or is he going to tell the truth? Because if you lie... The truth will probably come out. Then it makes you look bad. So you might as well be honest. Right, Garrett? And have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't. Long pause. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Um, Do you or don't you? I mean. There are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in, in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game. And this is what else PR, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction on this. And the pitchers are on you guys. Cause all, the hitters are all getting pissed and they're talking. But Charlie Blackman and stuff in the article, Josh Donaldson's talk about it. The hitters are starting to talk about it. Do you use it or not? Well, it's a yes or no answer. Right. Do I drink bang? Yes, Nick, I do. Here's a can of it right here. It's yes or no. Not a maybe. Do you or don't you? Uh, yeah, I feel like And then you... his spin rate comes because now they're checking the stuff. Yeah, he would have been much better off just saying no comment. Like, 
I don't know. I could just see like one of those big cartoon hooks, like pulling them off the podium right then by the PR, PR person. Yeah. <laughs> like, or just say, but your Zoom's bad. cutting out. Your Zoom's cutting out. I couldn't hear what you yeah. said. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're going to get this fixed. We'll talk to you on the next start. <laughs> when I've had more time to think of an answer. I don't know what Spider Tech is. We call it something else. Hey, regardless, Ron Cop. We'll talk Chiefs and OTAs next. Bing at night. Welcome back to Big at Night, Jay Binkley, Nick Price. By the way, Julio Jones wore number two. I know a lot of people's concerned. AJ Brown offered it to him, but he wanted well, he wore eight in college, but he he's going to wear two. That's a cool move by Julio. Well, it's a pressing issue. Garrett Cole should answer that. Yeah, right. You should be like, ah, sticky subs. What are we talking about? Um, can we talk about if I've been vaccinated or not? Or how about? Steroids is a major problem. Yeah, what what number do you think Julio is going to Yeah, wear, have you guys you know? seen what Julio Jones is going to wear? How about that trade, huh? <laughs> Next question. Anything would have been better. <laughs> Let's go down to Ron Cop, arrowheadpride.com's very own Ron Cop. Ron, Julio Jones is wearing number two. Big news yeah. in the NFL or not? <laughs> I'm joking. Not at all for me. I'm just glad we can kind of stop, you know, thinking about him and the Chiefs offense. I mean, it's cool to think about it for sure, but... You know, it never really seemed like it was it was that you know it was too close to happening. It's kind of more of a thing we all just kind of want. You know, we're talking it up a little bit. So I'm kind of glad he's just off the team. I don't care what number he wears. You know, it was a discussion that we had. I wasn't a big fan of grabbing that salary to throw on here to move other guys around just for Julio. I mean, I know the age, I know the hamstrings, the foot issues that have come up, and I know the Titans signed Josh Reynolds, but. They lose Corey Davis and Jonu Smith. I'm higher on Jonu Smith than most. I do consider him a top 11 tight end in the NFL. But that's 106 catches, 1,432 yards, and 13 touchdowns that are off the roster. And I don't think – I mean, I look at Tennessee and can't say, okay, Julio Jones. I would be more scared of him in other teams in the AFC than the Titans. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think I – before the Julio Jones trade – I thought the Titans were a team that could really take a, a step down this year, could really underperform this year, uh, miss the playoffs, be kind of a 500 team, barely 500. I think losing Arthur Smith is a huge deal, and I think people need to understand how much he made that offense go. He was the reason that offense was so efficient. Ryan Tannehill was putting up insanely efficient numbers in that passing game, and obviously Derrick Henry helped. He's you know, one of the best running backs in the game, obviously. But I really do think losing Arthur Smith, is a huge deal. It, it'll put a lot of onus on the offense, the skill players like Julio, like A.J. A. Brown, to kind of create plays on their own rather than being schemed up plays. I think he did a really good job of that, especially in the red zone. But the, the Titans still have a bad defense, too. we got to remember that. They were one of the worst defenses in the league last year, and I, they didn't really do much to get better in that sense. Julio's not playing cornerback for no. you. So I no. still think they're a team. I do think, you know, they'll, they'll be fighting for a roster shot or a playoff spot, I should say, you know, that six or seven spot, in my opinion. I think your offense is going to be fun enough, more explosive enough to get in that position. But, you know, they're not, they're not a legit AFC threat to me. Fourth worst defense in the NFL last year by yards allowed. Uh, Bud Dupree comes in. Again, Bud Dupree's coming off an ACL from Pittsburgh. So we'll see how that uh, transpires. Well, who do you – I haven't asked you this yet. Who do you have in that second bubble – but I'm assuming you have the Chiefs at first. If you don't, that's fine. Just tell me. But who do you consider in that bubble? Because I'm I'm a big Indy, Cleveland, Buffalo, 
and I'll throw Baltimore in that second tier. Where do, what do you have? Yeah, I'd say Buffalo has earned that right. I, I think their offense is, is explosive enough, and they have a good enough defense, a good enough coach on defense to be a competent enough defense to support that high-octane high offense, that explosive offense. I think Josh Allen, he may not be as superhuman as he was in 2020, but he's still going to be a good quarterback. He's still a playmaker. He's still a guy that is going gonna, is gonna to lead teams to win just out of sheer will, you know, running, you know, doing whatever it takes. So I think Buffalo still has earned that spot to be the number two team in the AFC. But there's a lot of a lot of interesting teams. I think one team you didn't mention that, you know, it's kind of fun around here to poke to poke fun at, but I do think the Chargers are gonna be a legit threat in the AFC this year. I think they'll give the Chiefs a little run for their money in the division. I think the Chiefs obviously pull it out, but I think the Chargers offense combined with the talent they have on defense, getting Derwin James back healthy, I think that's a team especially Justin Herbert with that improved offensive line in front of him now. He's got a really good offensive line, the best offensive line the Chargers have had in a long time, in my opinion. I think that's really going to help them, and they might be a, a legit threat, you know, a team kind of fighting for one of the top speed in the AFC. So you're buying the Chargers then? Because I know people say, man, look out for the Chargers. Are you buying them? Or Because, I mean, I, I want to wait and see. I want to wait and see what a defensive coordinator of one year in Brennan Daly or Brent Staley can do with the Justin Herbert. Like I, I'm not a hundred percent sold on them yet. I and and I totally get that. And, and there's always this fluke injury that happens, you know, sometime between now and, and the start of the season that completely derails their season. But it, it's not Philip Rivers anymore, right? It's not this old veteran that can barely move around in the pocket, and you know he makes plays, but to a certain extent, especially with the offensive line that Rivers had in front of him, you know, the Chiefs pass rush is just able to get him and, and all that kind of thing. Herbert's Herbert's the next the next level, the next guy. I think he really is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at some point. He's one of the best young quarterbacks already. Obviously, his rookie year was incredible. And like I kind of like I just keep saying, the offensive line with Corey Lindsley at center now, with Matt Filer from the Steelers at, at right guard potentially, uh, Rashawn Slater at left tackle, the the Northwestern offensive yep. tackle. I think I think they really did set a, set him up for success well with the offensive line. And then guys having guys like Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams as your receiving threats. That is really that is really good good supporting cast for a young quarterback. And on top of that, I think the defense is going to be a, a really good defense just based on their talent. They have they have a lot of talent in the secondary. And like you just mentioned, their new head coach was one was headed one of the best defenses in the league last year. So I do think there's reason for Chargers hype, but there's always something that goes wrong, right? And so we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, I, I've been the highest on Cleveland as far as taking the next step when I look at the other team, and I know Baker's still there at quarterback, but. I, I've been touting that offensive line is the best in the AFC. Pro Football Focus did rate it as the best because, you know, like guys like Jedrick Wills, there was all-rookie team last year. And then I'm talking three other all-pros on the offensive line besides that. They made a huge leap in their defense, getting 50% of the Rams secondary. Like, I look at them as taking that big step. And I look at a team like the Colts that basically could have and should have and I know didn't beat the Bills in the postseason in Buffalo. Yeah, the Colts are a really interesting team, right? Because we've seen Carson Wentz be a legitimate MVP candidate at one point, and he's still too young. That who knows? I mean, maybe he just really needed to be reunited with Frank Reich, his old uh, quarterback coach in Philly, when he was doing really well in those first couple of years. Maybe he really just did need a, a change of scenery. Maybe Philly, you know, we, we've seen Philly kind of be a dysfunctional organization over his last couple of years. Obviously, firing Doug Peterson after last year. So maybe there is just a change of scenery that really needed to happen, and. If Carson Wentz can get closer to what he was at the early parts of his career, I mean, all of a sudden, yeah, the Colts are a really dangerous team, especially, like you said, with the offensive line. 
and just the weapons they have too. I think they have some good weapons. I think Jonathan Taylor is one of the best young running backs for sure. And I like uh, Michael Pittman too, the receiver. I think he does some good stuff as well. And they were a good team last year with Philip Rivers. And so if Carson Wentz can have a little more big playability, a little more, you know, uh, you know, big threat ability, more than Philip Rivers did, obviously, you know, there's only so much you can do with Rivers at quarterback. Yeah, I, I think the Colts could be one of those teams that, you know, kind of sneaks up on people and becomes one of the contenders in the AFC. Well, one thing, too, that they've been talking about, I know the Honey Badger talked about it, Hitchens talked about it, uh, Spags talked about it, uh, about the red zone defense. And you've got a great article up on arrowheadpride.com right now. Here's a few numbers. In 2020, Chiefs allowed 47 possessions in the red zone, uh, which happens to be the sixth fewest of all teams to do it. But they allowed touchdowns on 36 of those drives, conversion rate of almost 77%, which was the league's highest. Now, they did improve in the postseason. What do you think about the red zone defense? Because in years past, it's about stopping the run. And obviously we know that Bashad Breeland is going to be gone now. So with the cornerbacks, how do you feel the Chiefs can improve the uh, red zone defense? So I think first thing to say is there's blame at every level of the defense for, for how the red zone performed. I think the defensive line could have been more stout against the run. I think linebackers could have been a little – and linebackers are the main culprit, and if you read my article, you'll be able to tell that. But linebackers mm-hmm. just aren't athletic enough to get sideline to sideline. They don't have the range that you need from your NFL linebackers nowadays with modern offenses, just being able to stretch defenses so much. And then also the secondary just had a lot of coverages. When I, I watched them, you know, I, I did a lot of film digging last night, and it just seemed like there was a lot of instances where they were just giving way too much cushion – for a situation where you're in the red zone, you can't give any cushion at all. You know, if he catches it, it's a touchdown. You know, you can't, you can't, it's, it's not like middle of the field where, yeah, you can catch it. You can, you can let him catch it and tackle him. It just, I don't know. I don't know if that's miscommunication, if that's just, you know, just a, a brain fart for each player, but it's, it did happen a little too much, but I, I do think the main culprit of the blame for the red zone defense last year is the linebackers. And I think the way it can improve, is if we see one of these second-round linebackers the last two years, Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, if they can get on the field and use their athleticism, they both have superior athleticism to who the Chiefs have had on the field for the most part the last few years, and that really is going to help. Even if Maybe even if Willie Gay isn't as uh, in tune to the uh, defense yet, you know, maybe doesn't know the playbook as well yet as a second-year player, his athleticism is still going to help just in those instances of just making plays you know, cutting off running backs on outside runs, getting to the flat on, on quick passes, that kind of thing. They really need that. They really need Gay and Bolton to kind of step up and be more athletic linebackers for this defense. You know what? I like those guys both a lot. I, I really like some of the stuff we saw from Willie Gay. And here's the deal. I, I thought the rookies might have a, this slow learning curve last year. You know, some didn't. Like guys like Tristan Warfs, the tackle in Tampa, didn't have that setback. But others, not having rookie minicamp, not having the OTAs, not having mandatory minicamp having a weird training camp, no preseason games. I thought that kind of set the rookies back. Like, not having that, it's a high volume of information on a Spagnola defense. So he's got to learn that. He's got an upper hand on Nick Bolton. But if I said which one of these guys at the end of the season will contribute more, Bolton or Willie Gay, what would you say? I'm putting my money on Gay. I really think Gay's athleticism, his, his ability to – explode out of his stance and, and cover, honestly, just pass coverage in general, just the athleticism to turn and, and get your hips around and, and run with tight ends, you know, receivers, all that kind of thing. That's what the Chiefs need at linebacker. And I know Nick Bolton has some of that too a little bit, um, but I just don't think to the extent that Gay does. 
and we've seen it. You know, the Chiefs are the main victim of how athletic linebackers can, can really hurt an offense. You know, we saw it in the Super Bowl. Levante David and Devin White were a great duo and really shut down the Chiefs' middle of the field. You know, Travis Kelsey couldn't really get going as much as he probably needed to, all that kind of thing. You really need athletic linebackers in today's NFL. I think Gay has the tools to do so. It's, just, it's tough. It is tough. I, I, I want to put my money on Gay, but he did get injured the week of the Super Bowl. We don't really know. I, I haven't really heard an update on that. I don't really know if he's full go or what's going on with that. You'd hope he's ready to go by week one. but Him and Baker uh, seem like they're going to be ready from what I've heard, but who knows? Yeah, and, 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 they, and they seem, the Chiefs seem to kind of talk like that a little bit, you know, especially with Baker, I would say. But just getting back to Gay, I, I really think he has the tools to do it, and, and that's exactly what the Chiefs need at linebacker right now is more them. And like you said, in that secondary, he kind of has an edge on Bolton. So I put my money on Gay. Speaking of secondaries, well, what do you make of uh, Bashad Breeland not coming back with the Chiefs? I, I mean, I, I liked Breeland. I like his bully attitude. I like a lot of things that he brought. It's a move that I might have done, but I can understand what they're thinking. Obviously, they want to get more out of Hughes because often injured Mike Hughes. But let's face this: they have the number. They have both first round pick number thirties from 2018 and 19 in their secondary. Now, they're putting a lot of pressure on Sam Madison and Dave Merritt and Steve Spagnuolo, getting them up to speed, but let's face the facts, Chiefs do have two first-round corners on their roster in Hughes and Baker since 18. Well, and they must be confident in them, right? I mean, Bashar Breeland got signed to a one-year deal for, I believe, up to $4 million is what I saw. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're not taking that deal, if the Chiefs are signing that deal, they have cap room to do it. It's not like they're tied on cap space right now. They have some few extra dollars to spend. If they're not making that deal, and we've seen it, there's mutual respect on both sides. Breland's shown love to Kansas City during this process. And, you know, I, I got to imagine the Chiefs, you know, have, have good feelings for him as well. But they must just be confident in those guys. Like you just said, they're former first-round picks. They must be confident in Snead and Charvarius Ward. Uh, Spags did kind of give him a vote of confidence in his OTA pressers last week, kind of giving that saying that they're for sure the cornerbacks one and two. But, yeah, I, I, it makes me think that they're really confident in the group they have. I would not be as confident as they would, I guess, but obviously that's why they're, they're in the position they are. But I definitely would have brought back Breland on, on a deal like that. I thought him holding out for a multi-year deal made sense, and maybe the Chiefs didn't want to give him that. But, man, one year, four, four million. I think you got to do that if you're the Chiefs. And Steed showed he could play the outside and the inside. At 164 steps on the outside, after the collarbone ended up with 171 snaps in the slot. So he did both. He can do both. Yeah, he maybe looked a little bit better in the slot, but he showed us he can do both. Yeah, I like Snead on the inside. I, I want, I want, and, and Spags has actually mentioned this. He mentioned, I can't remember the Philadelphia corner he referenced when he was talking about this now, to be honest with you, but he mentioned that in two cornerback sets, they had this guy play on the outside, and then on three cornerback sets when there's a nickel corner, he moved this guy on the inside and brought someone else to play the outside. I think that's how they need to attack Snead, or use Snead, I should say. I really like Snead's ability to come off the edge and be a blitzer. I think he might be the best coverage corner on the team. He showed it last year. We talked about the stats, the passer rating he's given up. It's the third best out of all corners in the league last year. He's a guy that and, – and your slot receiver is a lot of times your best receiver sometimes. That's where you want to uh, attack defenses nowadays. The offenses like to do that. We've seen it at Tyreek Hill, obviously. So I think they need to keep Snead on the slot when there is a nickel formation. I think just everything that comes with – he's a good tackler, too, and I really like that about him. So – Keeping him around the box, is I'm in favor of that. Final question for you, Ron. Has nothing to do with the Chiefs, has to do with the Packers, because it could be a guy that ends up in the AFC West and Aaron Rodgers. 
getting fined $93,000 a day for missing these OTAs, $500,000 for his workout bonus. Are you fining him or not? Because there's some friction. Are you giving Aaron Rodgers the free pass and not fining him, or are you setting an example? Yeah, if I'm the Packers, I mean, I'm doing everything it takes to get him back in the building. I don't know what that takes if that's not fining him. If I mean, you know, kissing his butt. I mean, I don't know. It's crazy to me that it's going on like this. I thought by now maybe it would be resolved, especially since we didn't see a trade happen on draft day. But Rodgers seems to be really dug in. And if I'm the Packers, I'm, I don't want to be left out where – I can't even get a good trade compensation for the reigning MVP. So it sounds like the best thing they need to do is just do whatever it takes to get him back, whether that's not finding him, whether that's, you know, laying out the red carpet for him, whatever you got to do, get him back in the building before it really gets to a point where you have to trade him for almost nothing. Good stuff. Ron Cop over at arrowheadpride.com has a great article about the red zone defense right now. Thanks a lot, Ron. Appreciate it, Jay. There you go, Ron Cop right there. Man, I just talking football, man. We're getting close, Nick. We got mandatory minicamp the fifteenth through seventeenth. That's next week, right? Yeah, fifteenth. Now it's creeping up on We're us. We're in mid June, right? Or yeah. getting close. Where are we on the eighth yeah, today? Ninth. Ninth. So yeah. Eighth. Ninth. Yeah. No, it's eighth. Eighth. Okay. Uh, I never know who what day cares. It is. Really? Yeah. I mean, football's cares? coming. Yeah. Football is uh, right around the corner. Josh Vernier's coming up at seven thirty. Royals and Angels. I stayed up late and listened to Vern last night. I did. You know, turn the TV off. Listen to Vern. He put me to sleep in five minutes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I cracked a beer, grabbed some popcorn, and listened to Vern. Uh, but regardless, we'll react to Ron Cobb next. Bing at night. Welcome back to Big at Night. Jim Binkley, Nick Price. Boobich on the mound tonight for the Royals. He'll face Otani hitting second. Otani's hitting 255. But dude, still crushes it. I like West Coast baseball, Nick, and I know you'll obviously be here dialed into every play and highlight. Oh, you know it. You're keeping Vern company. Just doing my job. I like these late night games. I think parents may appreciate it a little more. You know, the kids are in bed, get to watch baseball, Kick you don't back. get bothered, you don't have bath time, homework time. Well, you don't have homework anyway, unless they're in summer school. But regardless, I love talking to Ron Cop. You know, I guess at this point, if we're just talking about red zone defense, you know, we can live with that because you have Patrick Mahomes. Like, do you even care? Like, how many people go up and grab a beer when the Chiefs are on defense than offense right now? Oh, all the time. I yeah. mean, Mahomes and then offense is like, you got to see it. You, you don't want to miss that. So every time it's like, all right, wait until the Chiefs score and then go grab your beer, go grab your popcorn, get ready and everything. And then hopefully you're back by the end of that drive and then. Back at it. Well, you saw an emphasis in defensive backs with the Broncos, yeah. with the Browns. You're going to really try to shore up that defensive backfield. It's one way to stop the Chiefs. Good Maybe luck. Not stop the Chiefs, but curtail them. And you better have a pass rush to go with it. Not that that can go hand in hand. Although, you know, some are concerned more about the Chiefs' pass rush. I'm not as much because, and I know Chris Jones has been working a little bit on the outside, but seriously, there is not a better interior pass rush than Chris Jones and Jaron Reed in the AFC. Now, Spags manufactures the blitz from the cornerback blitz. Don't forget that she said five corner blitzes to finish out the season that blowed over into regular season. For those, Legereus Sneed, Mr. Sackman, the defensive back, mm-hmm. and DeAndre Baker was mixed in there before he got hurt. So they found different ways. And, of course, the Badger can get to the quarterback and cause pressure. And we don't even know if Ingram, what that situation is going to be. 
Like, we don't know if it's set. The roster's mostly set, but it's not all the way set. Let me yeah. put it that way. Like Ron said, they got a little bit of money to spend, so they they're going to spend it somewhere. Unless they want to roll it over. Because right. the salary cap could jump up to 2-8, but you can roll over the money you don't spend, and you get to spend it the following season, which the Chiefs do have some stuff on the books for next season. Mm-hmm. So they're in a good situation. Coming up next, it's been 15 years since Dayton Moore took over from the Kansas City Royals. I texted Cody and Alex. They interviewed Dayton Moore. It was fantastic. I mean, it was fantastic, revealing. It was honest. It was a really good interview. The highlights of that, things I enjoyed. We'll do that next. Bing at night. Football. Energy drinks. Beer. More football. Welcome to Bink at Night. Welcome back to Bink at Night. Karen, you to 730. Josh Vernier, Vern's on Deck Show. Talking Chris Bubich. And, of course... The Royals and Angels. The Royals a four and three record against the AL West, a division they were sixteen and fifty in two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen. Oof, it's a different team, man. Way different. Way different. Oh yeah. And these aren't your daddy's Angels. This Angels team should have been good, but Trout's hurt and Pujols is a Dodger. Mm-hmm. Looks a little different. That lineup was just sick, man. Would have had those guys in it. They wanted to go a different direction. I mean, they still can't pitch. They put in like 3 million fans a year. I mean, they, they go watch them. It's a big area. They go watch them. They just can't do anything. Like, Trout's the best player on the planet, but can't go to the postseason. When he does, he's not good. I digress. There's two anniversaries today. Dayton Moore, 15 years, 15 years as the GM of the Kansas City Royals since he was hired. And Josh Vernier and I, nine years since we came to 610. Congratulations. I don't, remember, I don't remember these type of things. Vern does. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Tell Vern that, too. I will. Vern reminded me today. He asked me what I got him. I said nothing. Regardless, it's, it's uh, <laughs> Vernon's eyes uh, deal. But anyway, 15 years of Dayton Moore. What you do is you have a small market that won a World Series, went to another one, and sure, you've got teams like the Rays that have gone to the World Series, but they don't exactly have banners. Since the explosion of cable television, no small market has won the World Series. Dayton Moore was asked about those things, including taking the job in Kansas City. Did he ever drink? Because he was in that pipeline of the Braves at all those different positions with Atlanta, probably going to be the next general manager there. But what about being a GM? Did he ever want to be a GM? Did he ever think he was going to be a GM? He answers that question. Well, you know, honestly, um, I never, I never wanted to be a general manager. And uh, you know, the first two opportunities I had uh, to interview, I, I chose to, uh, you know, not to, you know, proceed. Uh, I, I loved working in scouting and player development. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, I, I didn't see myself as a as a baseball executive and. And um, it really kind of took some uh, seeking advice of, of older, wiser baseball people. And they said, look, if you, if you become a general manager, you can do it the way you want to do it. And if you have the right owner, uh, you don't have to be tied to a desk. Uh, you can still, you know, you know, interact throughout you know, the, 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 the country, watching players play, setting in homes, uh, you know, spreading uh, the, the seed of baseball and, and all that's good about our game, uh, spend time in the minor leagues. I mean, you can craft the job 
the way you desire. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, not an admin, I'm not a very good administrator. Uh, I truthfully wouldn't have came to Kansas City uh, if I didn't have uh, great affection for Mr. Glass uh, and Dean Taylor' willingness to leave Cincinnati and uh, be uh, our assistant general manager because I needed somebody like Dean Taylor who uh, knew all the, the rules uh, and, and was a terrific in, uh, administrator and could really uh, provide me with a lot of help. And so, and we just wanted to do baseball every single day and uh, build an organization that uh, people would be proud of, people would be proud to, to work uh, in and uh, to grow uh, as professionals and to do good in the community. And uh, because I think every major league team has a responsibility uh, to grow the game, set the right example. Uh, of what baseball and softball should look like uh, in their community, uh, in their region, and in this country. And so we've, we've taken that uh, responsibility, uh, you know, very, very highly. Dayton Moore really wants to grow the game. I mean, he's really interested. Think about the Urban Youth Academy and the other things he's done. He wants to grow the game of baseball. And so he talks there about wasn't sure if he wanted to be a GM. But how did it come to fruition with the Kansas City Royals? And he admitted he took some interviews or took an interview just to add a respect for Mr. Glass. And, well, here we are 15 years later. Yeah, that's a great question. I think of a lot of things when, when you ask that. Uh, you know, first of all, um, you know, when, when I decided to, to interview with uh, David Glass and, and Dan Glass, I had no intention of, of taking the position. And, and uh, I, there was no way I was going to leave the Atlanta Braves. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk that I was part of the succession plan there in Atlanta, which, uh, you know, I believe was, was probably the case. And our family was thriving there. Uh, I loved who I worked with. I loved all of our players, uh, you know, all the coaches, the instructors, the scouts. And, you know, I'd grown up uh, as an area scout and uh, held a lot of different positions in that organization from international director, professional director, assistant scouting director, uh, farm director, player personnel, assistant GM. And so I, I kind of went through the training. And, um, and so there was no reason to, to leave. And, and then when I, I decided to meet with Mr. Glass, just really out of respect, um, one of the most uh, influential and successful businessmen in the history of our country, somebody that I knew was a very good man from all of the information that I had, uh, and I just wanted to meet with him out of respect. Uh, he was going to fly into um, Atlanta, and uh, it's 30 minutes from the ballpark. And so I, I went and met with him again, just out of respect. And maybe I could, you know, give him some insight or some things that might help him in scouting and player development. And and um, you know, as we began to talk, and uh, he opened up to me and he talked about how much he wanted to win for the fans and how. The, the Kansas City Royals fans deserved better. And he talked about, you know, the legacy of Mr. K and, and the importance of this team to his family. And, and I began pulling for him. Uh, you know, I, I identified with him and I connected with his heart. And, and for the first time I said, you know what, maybe this is something we ought to, we ought to look at. And uh, it took me about 10 days to kind of figure it out. Um, you know, we, we decided to come to Kansas City and accept the challenge, and and uh, I'm so thankful, you know, that uh, that we did. But 
know, that's that's really um, you know why we came here. I wanted to see Mr. Glass do well, and I thought it would be an amazing challenge. There's no way uh, to prepare for these jobs, no matter who your mentors are, no matter how much success you've had. You've got to go do them. And uh, I was overwhelmed, really, the first three years. As much as uh, I had an understanding of, of scouting and player development, it's still very difficult to execute. And in our market, uh, to build from within, it was going to take a lot of time. It's not easy dealing with the criticism when you've never dealt with it uh, at all. It's, it's, it's difficult under the best of circumstances. Um, and so that was challenging as well. Uh, I'm thankful for... Uh, my faith, which I was able to, to lean on a great deal. I'm thankful to have a, a wife in Marianne who is extremely supportive and encouraging along the way. Uh, just just an unbelievable partner in life that really kept me going. And, and so many people I worked with, you know, J.J. Piccolo and Lonnie Goldberg and Renee Francisco and Dean Taylor and Gene Watson and Donnie Williams and Mike Arbuckle and I mean, I can go on and on with, you know, Jen Wong and Scott Sharp, of course, who are really kind of the rock-solid people in that front office, and Emily Penning, and, I mean, just so many people that I've been blessed to work with that are positive, uplifting people that, uh, you know, we shared a, a vision together. But uh, there was times when, um, you know, I felt that uh, we bought too big of a house because, you know, I wasn't sure we were going to be able to sell it, and we bought it at a point in time when the market was at its highest level. And so, yeah, I went through a lot of those ups and downs. And But baseball was the common theme that kept us going because uh, we just dove into to building the best organization that we could. And um, we knew we, you know, John Sherholz told me this. He said, look, there's no doubt you'll build a, a very strong farm system. He said, you, you were part of that here. You will do that in Kansas City. But he said, don't ever underestimate the importance of winning games at the major league level. And you're going to need to, to do your best to be as competitive as possible while you're building that major, that, that minor league system. And so we were focused on that as well. We're trying to put the best team we can on the field. We, we probably spent more money than we should have at the major league payroll on the major league payroll at times. But you know, I knew that we needed to try to put a competitive team on the field and give our fans hope. And if we would have probably um, not spend as much money early um, and put those resources in, in, in other places. Maybe we could have won a little quicker, um, you know, at the, at the major league level. But, uh, you know, that's, again, we were focused on trying to do both. And, and uh, I don't regret it, but uh, you know, maybe we would have looked at it a little differently. Just because the economics of baseball were, were so different, uh, you know, during – and they still are today. I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, just uh, it's it's not as balanced as, as as you'd like in some areas, regardless of how anybody views it, uh, because of you know what I just said. Economics in baseball aren't the same. I mean, the explosion of cable television changed everything, and some teams have the money and some teams don't. He was able to win an organization. Yeah, Mr. Glass spent money. They were top half in payroll. When they won, but they're still at the top. That's spending over $240 million like the Dodgers. Not even close to that. I mean, they can't throw cash at Band-Aids because a deal like a Warren Fonte, you know, they didn't hurt the team because they had to pay that. You know, it's not like Josh Hamilton getting $63 million to walk out the door of the Angels. 
They're in a different situation. It's like they play a different game at times. They were able to do it. And he built a team to fit the ballpark, a lot like Bobby Cox did. Build a team to fit the ballpark in Atlanta. He did that here in Kansas City. Not only that, they revolutionized how teams use pitching staffs, especially the rise of the minor, or the uh, relief pitchers and the closers, the shutdown guys, seven, eight, nine, to find roles. Dayton Moore and the Royals made pitchers around the league a lot of money and a lot of cash. And I even asked some of the opposing relievers, and they tipped their cap to the Royals. The Royals made it more marketable, got him more cash. Dayton Moore was also asked if he pays attention to the comparisons with other small market teams, like the Tampa Bay Rays. Do we pay attention and study success? Of course. Do we study failure? Absolutely. And, um, you know, every every market's different. You know, we, we've chosen not to be as transactional as, as some markets. Um, we, we probably should be more transactional, you know, going forward. And, and when you look at some of those other small market teams, that's what they're constantly doing. And But I've always felt that our community – uh, wants to connect with players, and they enjoy their stories, the ups and the downs, and they, they get involved with them, and they're passionate about them, and they pull for them. And, and, um, but, you know, but I don't, I don't necessarily – I don't – what I've learned, truthfully, is in, in life, there's – people are looking at all of us in one of two ways. They're looking at us with a critical eye or a critical spirit. And think – Thank God for those people that are looking at us with a critical eye because they help us uncover blind spots. They mold us. They shape us. They speak truth into our lives. And there's some people that are looking at us with a critical spirit. And those people are probably not going to change one way or the other. You know, those are the person, when you say the sky's blue, they say, no, it's not. You say, you know, the grass is green. No, it's not. You can just never please those types of people. And I've learned to just give that away and, and not take those types of things personal. Um, but you know, I, I've, I have a great respect, uh, and I've learned to respect many people in the media, especially our Kansas City media, because they're just they're good-hearted people. They're just they're just trying to do their job, and they're articulating things. And there should be uh, debate in in sports, and and uh, we can have, that's that's what makes sports fun. We talk about different things, and but I, what I've always felt that if you or anybody had the same information that I had about a particular drafted player we're going to draft, a deal we're going to make, a free agent we're going to acquire, and, and you put it in the context of where we are, what we can do financially, um, you know, all the different ways that we evaluate players, you would all probably do the same thing in most cases. And so, and again, you can only take advantage of players that are available to you. Uh, there's an economic evaluation. There's a medical evaluation. There's a traditional scouting evaluation that must take place. There's an analytical evaluation that must take place. And then, obviously, there's a character evaluation that must take place. And so the character evaluation is the most important thing. So there's Dayton Moore, 15 years at that. He talks about criticism a lot. And you can't dwell on it. You can't concentrate on it. It's a lot like Major League players. Going to get criticized. You got to forget about it. Don't have a Twitter account either. <laughs> That's the key to it right that there. That helps. Well, I want to address some of the things Dayton Moore said there and kind of what I was saying in 2015 and why I can't be ultra critical now. Can't do it. Said I wasn't going to do it for 10 years. Won't do it. Explain it next. Big at night. 
Welcome back. Ten minutes until Vern takes over Vern's on deck show. Chris Bubich on the mound tonight for the Kansas City Royals. Still post a winning record against the West. Keep on our things. We started the show well, early in the show. We didn't start with it, but we played Garrett Cole and his non-answer. <laughs> Do you use it or not? Yeah, well, you know, uh, 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 I don't know, you know, you know, I don't know. By the way, you know, speaking of this, Whit Merrifield show earlier this week with Cody and Gold, I was sitting in that day because Wit's always willing to talk about anything, right? Because Wit's 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 trying to get hits off these guys doing yeah. stuff, right? So, and Whit plays the game the right way, an honest way. So, what's he think about all this? Yeah, if you, I don't know if you guys noticed the stuff, you know, the last couple of years, but stuff. Yeah, balls are doing some pretty incredible things <laughs> when pitchers throw them, and um, you know, I just always. Guys developing, guys having throwing programs, and and, and uh, you know just the evolution of baseball. Guys are learning how to do certain things better, and they're getting bigger and stronger. And so I, I think there's a, I don't know, there might there's probably a little bit of both. You know, guys are are developing more, uh, throwing more, getting stronger arms, learning how to how to build their arm strength. But you know, apparently some guys are getting a little extra help. Stuff's getting nasty. Stuff's getting nasty. But I don't think I'm going to credit all that to to the fire time. I definitely can't notice as a hitter when a guy is using fire time and when he's not. So the Royals don't do it. So he's friends with the guys that so don't do it. Like he pretty much tells it like it is. I remember back in 15, Nick, I told it like it is. And maybe I'm stupid for saying this, but I said if the Royals deliver, this is in June, man. Like, all those hopes going to World Series, mad bum shutting things down. I said, give me a world title. Because this is before the Chiefs had won another one. Right? I wasn't alive the first oh, yeah. time the Chiefs had one. But I was alive in 85. I was 12 years old when the Royals won 85. So I've seen it before. But I want to see it as an adult, right? I said, give me 10 years. I'll take 10 years of being 500 or less than 500 if you just win this damn thing. If you win that damn ring and put 2015 on a banner I still have in my living room, which I'm single and I could do this crap, 85 and 2015, just wanted that, Nick. Just give me 2015. And they did. So I can't really complain a lot, right, because I'm a hypocrite. And nobody remembers because people just remember what happened yesterday anymore. But I said that, and I meant it. I promised myself not to get all crazy for 10 years. All right, we're getting there. Here we are. But you know what? The Royals should compete for a title in, in 10 years. And maybe even before. So maybe I was a little bit off. By the way, Vern's three strikes came to your direction. I've got something fun for you, Nick. Did you watch yesterday's game? Yes. All right. Let's test your knowledge. I watched half of it. Well, I'm sure you can get this then. All right. Name three pitchers that were used for the Kansas City Royals last night. Uh, Coar, Santana, and... Come on, come on, come on. Zimmer. Strike one. Barlow. Strike two. Vern does three strikes in each question, right? Brantz. Strike three. Yeah. I turned it off. Oh, well, you did. You yeah. had, you no, the- I got the first two. I watched the first part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> all right, for extra credit, name three of the top ten wins leaders of all time for the Kansas City Royals. Because Vern will you know, throw these in here, too. And George Brett is not one of these answers. Pitchers? Pitchers with wins. 
I guess uh, one of the few spaces you can do without George Britt. Yeah. Let's go with um, Grinky. Not in the top ten. No? Strike one. How about Duffy? Uh, Danny Duffy's number 11. Man. Well, there was two ties at nine. He'd technically be 10. I'll give you that one. Okay, so he's in there. I'll give you that one. Um, Look it in. Look it in. Look it in. Where are you going? Saberhagen. Number number, uh, six. Number six. Okay. And we have time for one more. I think we're running out of time, Bank. Okay, it's Paul Splitorf, Dennis (laughs) Leonard, Mark Gubazaw, Kevin Apier, Larry Gura, Tom Gordon, Charlie Lee Brandt, Steve Busby. Those are the correct answers. Vern's on deck. So thanks for on Cop ArrowheadPride.com. Thanks for Nick Price for producing. Vern, next. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.